Our first Bible reading of this morning is taken from the book of Proverbs and reading chapter 11, Proverbs 11. The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favour with him. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Wealth is worthless, is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless makes their path straight, but the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. Hopes placed in mortals die with them. All the promise of their power comes to nothing. The righteous person is rescued from trouble, and it falls on the wicked instead. With their mouths the godless destroy their neighbours, but through knowledge the righteous escape. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked it is destroyed. Whoever derides their neighbour has no sense. But the one who has understanding holds their tongue. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. For lack of guidance, the nation falls, but victory is won through many advisers. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer, but whoever refuses to shake hands in the pledge is safe. A kind-hearted woman gains honour, but ruthless men gain only wealth. Those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. A wicked person earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Truly the righteous attain life, but whoever pursues evil finds death. The Lord detests those whose hearts are perverse, but he delights in those whose ways are blameless. Be sure of this. The wicked will not go unpunished, but those who are righteous will go free. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, but the hope of the wicked only in wrath. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper, Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. Whoever seeks good finds favour, but evil comes to the one who searches for it. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Whoever brings ruin on their family will inherit only wind, and the fool will be the servant to the wise." The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives. If the righteous receive their due on earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner. And from the New Testament, from the book of James, James 1, reading from verse 9 through to verse 12. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like wildflower. 
For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood that test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Amen. Alan and thanks for um, leading us in prayer Nicola and uh, thank you all of you for being here this morning it's a great thing isn't it to gather together in the name of our Lord Jesus and what an encouragement it was to hear from the Murrays and their adventure out in West Wyalong uh, it's great joy to my heart to hear that uh, Cobars found itself a minister uh, because the Damons uh, were a couple, uh, before they were married in fact, which, uh, with which Sarah and I were involved many moons ago back in Mossman when they were there, back in the noughties, and uh, had the great privilege of walking alongside those two um, in fellowship in the Lord Jesus. And so it's uh, enormously encouraging, isn't it, 20 years later nearly, um, to hear and see how the Lord shapes people up for their involvement in his ministry elsewhere. I'm just going to move this back a little bit because it's wobbling. And uh, I'm just going to share with you a little reflection I had this week because uh, we like watching science fiction movies, as many of you know. And um, I watched a movie with my kids and my wife this week. Sarah and I love this film. We've seen it many years ago. We've watched it more than once, Mars Attacks. I don't know whether I'm going to advocate for it here, but if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Back in 1898, there was a book written and a radio show that followed and numerous movies that have ensued from H.G. Wells' War of the worlds. That was really the very first sort of invasion story of those uh, aliens who came from Mars. And mankind in that story did all that it could to fight off the aliens. And when all else had failed, they finally, in the story, went into the churches and sought God and begged God, pleaded with God that he might intervene. And very wonderfully, the Lord did intervene through the means of a common cold. The aliens caught a cold and uh, they all died, and everybody celebrated and gave thanks to God. And then what I've realized since that iteration of invasion is that pretty much every movie or story since has not been about God's profound intervention and his grace and goodness, but about mankind's ingenuity and the ways in which mankind managed to fight off the invaders. And Mars Attacks is a similar story. If you haven't seen it, it's a lot of fun. My kids thought it was a bit dated, though. Anyway, what's, what am I telling you this all? The reason I'm saying all this is because the big idea that we're going to look at today is this. Fools forget God. Fools forget God. I've been reading through Proverbs um, this week. I've been an obedient servant of Langdon's request last week to us to read a, a chapter every day. And what I've discovered as I started going through Proverbs again is that I wasn't as familiar with it as I thought I was. So I'm going to give you three wise men. If we can just go back a slide, please. Thanks, Whitney, who helped me on my journey. Um, I'd encourage you to have a look at any of these books. They're all good. A fellow called Goldsworthy wrote a book called Gospel and Wisdom. Um, the image there is from his trilogy. So that's one of the books within that uh, compilation. And then also um, The Faith of Israel by William Dumbrell and um, another book, The Tree of Life by Roland Murphy. And they've been super helpful as I've been working through and thinking through and praying through uh, the book of Proverbs because it's a challenging book uh, to read, isn't it? 
And even as Alan's read for us from Proverbs 11 there, our work is going to be cut out for us. Actually, it's really going to be cut out for us because I'm not going to dwell in Proverbs 11. I'm actually going to look at a whole chunk. Noah, our intern, preached at 8. And he dealt with Proverbs 11, and he sort of drew out some really helpful learnings out of that. So if that's what you're hoping to get today, that's not what you're going to get, but you can go online and hear Noah's talk and get Proverbs 11 teaching. I'm going to try and do something a bit different. I'm going to ask for the Lord's help. Um, Three wise men, three kings. It all sounds a bit like Christmas, isn't it? But we're leaving Christmas behind, and we're coming before the King of Kings. And I'm going to ask him to help us. Would you pray with me? Father God, gracious, almighty, heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this time together. We do acknowledge and honor that you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our minds and the affections of our hearts and the willingness of our knees will be subject to you, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get to it. Three points this morning. Number one, King Charles III. Number two, King Solomon. Number three, King Jesus. You may have heard King Charles III's Christmas speech last year, 2022. It was a gentle and deeply personal message. Uh, I'm going to share some of it with us As we read, he began by saying, I'm standing here in this exquisite chapel of St. George at Windsor Castle, so close to where my beloved mother, the late Queen, is laid to rest with my dear father. I'm reminded of the deeply touching letters and cards and messages which so many of you have sent my wife and myself, and I cannot thank you enough for the love and sympathy that you have shown our whole family. It's a poignant message, poignant and personal way to begin. His Majesty the King then went on both to align with and depart from Her Majesty the Queen's position. He goes on to say, and I quote, In the much-loved carol, O little town of Bethlehem, we sing of how in thy dark street shineth that everlasting light. My mother's belief in the power of that light was an essential part of her faith in God, but also her faith in people, and it is one which I share with my whole heart. It is a belief in the extraordinary ability of each person to touch with goodness and compassion the lives of others and to shine a light in the world around them. This is the essence of our community and the very foundation of our society. That light he refers to, and we ask ourselves, which light? You see, King Charles III then went on to honor the hardworking people of his nation, some of whom were serving in churches, but also those serving in synagogues and mosques and temples and gurdwaras. It was our solidarity, a heartfelt expression of loving our neighbors as ourselves, but this light to which the king refers is not the light of faith in God notice. It is the light of faith in men. He went on to say, and I quote, while Christmas is of course a Christian celebration, the power of light overcoming darkness is celebrated across the boundaries of faith and belief. So he says, whatever faith you have, or whether you have none, it is in this life-giving light and with the true humility that lies in our service to others, that 
I believe we can find hope for the future. He concludes by saying, let us therefore celebrate it together and cherish it always. With all my heart, I wish you, each of you, a Christmas of peace, happiness, and everlasting light. When you read it as it is, when you listen to him as he spoke, it was a fluent and winsome and harmonizing speech which had forgotten God. Pray for our King. Verse 1 of chapter 10, the beginning of the wisdom of Solomon that's collated here, says, A wise son gladdens his father, but a foolish son grieves his mother. An allusion to the gods of all faiths, or none, so long as that light of humanity is shining. Words from the one who has taken the mantle of the defender of the faith, the Christian faith, are not wise ones. Fools forget God. My second point is this, King Solomon in the Proverbs. Wisdom is and always was God's gift of his word to his people. The word of God is where wisdom resides. Right back in the days of Deuteronomy when Moses writes and preserves for us, in chapter four, verse six, we read, carefully follow the word of God. For this will show you wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the peoples. When they hear about all these statutes, they will say, this great nation is indeed a wise and understanding people. A nation that would stand out amongst the nations in Israel as it would become because they listened to their God and lived out the words of their God. And this sets us up for Solomon. Solomon was the king. He was the son of the first king, uh, sorry, the, um, the second king, David of Israel. First king was uh, Saul, and then we had David, and then Solomon was his son. And in fact, we're set up in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, as Langdon spoke to last week. Solomon, of course, you remember, is the wisest man described in history, save God's son's Jesus, uh, son Jesus. When, when he was made king, what did he ask God for? Could have asked for wealth, could have asked for people, could have asked for uh, a, a country or nation, but his first choice, 1 Kings 3, was wisdom. And 1 Kings 4, God gave him wisdom. And, and in chapter 1, verse 1, it cites Solomon, um, but also there's this father-to-son dynamic and there's this teacher-to-disciple dynamic and a bit later in Proverbs we find there's a mother-to-son dynamic and we see these extraordinary dancing ladies, wisdom and folly, and we'll get on to them later in the series. But the key thing that's going on here is that there is the sharing in the Proverbs of wisdom, understanding and instruction. There's so much I want to go into with you about this. We're going to have to leave it for you to take home to discuss with your life groups and your families and perhaps to have a little look at uh, some of those books I've shared with you because there's so much. But we landed on the fact that in verse 7, there is fear of the Lord. In fact, to, to know, to do, and to instruct, you remember that model, see one, do one, teach one? That's how we develop wisdom. To know the thing, to see the thing, to, to then begin to understand what it means to do the thing and then begin to teach others 
so that we learn in a fresh way to do the thing and to follow that instruction to then impart that instruction is the way of wisdom. And the very last two words at the end of verse 7 of chapter 1 are the fool despises. The fool despises what? Well, the fool despises the fear of the Lord and consequently all those things that proceed from the fear of the Lord. The fool despises wisdom, the fool despises instruction, and the fool despises knowledge. And interesting, those words in Hebrew, this is my little Hebrew lesson for you, those words are evilim badzu. And if you take the original words, they come out like this. Evil booze. That's a kooky thing, isn't it? Actually, in this little section of... um, Chapters 10 to 22, it says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. That's the biggest read-in to a text that I've ever done in my life. But the Lord's laid it on my heart to share that with you. My gift to you, if that needs to be something that the hearer understands. But I move on. We move into chapters 1 to 7, and if you've been reading along, you'll know that we're going to be reading, uh, sorry, uh, chapters 1 to 9, and you know that we'll be reading chapter 9 tomorrow. And then that really sets us up for this section, which is the wisdom of Solomon, chapters 10 to 22. And that's my uh, next subpoint: the wisdom of Solomon. The, um, weirdly, or perhaps intentionally, the 375 lines of Proverbs that are in chapters 10 to the end of chapter 22, which are ascribed to Solomon. 375, in the um, Hebrew discipline of counting numbers as letters in Hebrew, is the name of Solomon. Was that intentional? Interestingly, when we look at Hezekiah and his attributed lines to Solomon, uh, 130 of those lines, and 130 in Gematria, the Hebrew numbering, is Hezekiah. Food for thought, eh? But isn't it amazing, as you would know, as we've been reading through the Proverbs, just the ways in which the author or the collator of the book of Proverbs uses really compelling uh, tools, styles, and themes. Have a look at verse 1 of of chapter 11. And notice that uh, here we have massive emphasis with hyperbole. There's numerical stuff, there's linguistic stuff. But look at this hyperbole. Full scales are not just disappointing to the Lord or irritating to the Lord or unrighteous to the Lord, but an abomination to the Lord. Full uh, full scales are an abomination to the Lord, but the full weight is his delight. Well, that's just talking about inappropriate measures. It's cheating people, isn't it? It's being uneven-handed. And there's loads of instances of this kind of emphasis. There's also alliteration and assonance and chiasms all over the place. Uh, Verse 2, just have a look with me. In English it reads, when pride comes, disgrace comes. Just compare that to the Hebrew that says, Bazadon vayabokalon. Bazadon vayabokalon. How good does that sound? The, The reason is that they were memorable. That the authors wanted to ensure that the people who heard the wisdom of God would have ways to remember it. Not everybody had a book in front of them or a a phone in front of them in those days. So they were memorable ways to express. And so we see these um, instances of style, this parallelism. You know how the Proverbs, so often you've got one half of it and then the other half of it, and it kind of goes, here's one thing and I compare this one, or here's one thing and I contrast this one, or here's one thing and I amplify this one, or here's one thing and I expand this thing. 
And so we see the themes of integrity and dishonesty, and we see the themes of faith in wealth versus faith in God, and we see the themes of wise talk versus foolish talk, and the essence of Proverbs provides practical instructions for how to live life well, and the wise learn to see and do and teach according to the Word of God, but the fools despise this. Now, remember I said earlier that Solomon was the wisest man in the world, with the exception of Jesus. But he fell, didn't he? He fell into folly. There was the folly of Solomon, because Solomon received godly wisdom when he asked God for it. And we see how that expanded in his extraordinary influence in 2 Chronicles chapter 1 and onwards. But Solomon failed to keep in step with the word of God. He failed to obey the word of God. He failed to listen and he became a fool. He was advised not to marry foreign women, but what did he do? He married foreign women. He was advised not to enter into covenants and treaties with the nations, but what did he do? He got all his resources from the nations. And in the end, 1 Kings 11, we read how his heart began slowly to turn as he fell into disobedience to the word of God and into folly, ignoring that instruction, that knowledge and that wisdom that God had given him as gift to the point that he turned his heart to idols and he exchanged godly wisdom for worldly wisdom and he began to suffer as a fool. Godly wisdom honors God and worldly wisdom honors the self. Godly wisdom begins with fear of the Lord and leads to a life of distinction. And worldly wisdom may well be very impressive on street smarts or may be very lucrative in terms of its reward, but it doesn't last because the Lord will remove his blessing as he did with this king because fools forget God. So even with Solomon, we're set up with this expectation, is there anyone who can be truly wise? And of course there is, because that's King Jesus. In Jesus, in John chapter 1, verses 1 and onwards, we meet the Word. The Word of God made manifest, the logos or the logic or the wisdom of God, as the Greeks referred to it, made flesh in God's Son, Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Note, this is just not a personification of wisdom. Jesus coming into the world, the Son of God, is the very presence of wisdom amongst us. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was made that has been made. He was the life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There are times, brothers and sisters, when we will see wisdom that looks like wisdom. Proverbs 11.11, the speech of the righteous and the speech of the wicked, we read, the righteous speaks wisely and causes others to rejoice and be blessed. In contrast, the wicked speaks foolishly and causes trouble for others. This is just a sequitur, isn't it? It just makes sense. Foolish talk, listened to, leads to trouble. Doing silly things leads to consequences. Doing sensible things leads to consequences and they're different. Godly wisdom is here to help us live in the world well. It helps us make sense of the world and God has given more in mind than simply living well because all of that needs to be done under the fear of him. But fear of the Lord 
as revealed in Jesus, is not about fear of judgment and consequence and, and, and coming trembling before God because God says, I love you. God says, come to me in love. This is Jesus, the wisdom of God. Whilst King Charles III celebrates light revealed through all faiths or none, and people working hard to express love and care for one another, the Apostle Paul says to us that the light from whom all light and life flows is a person. Because Jesus doesn't just speak words of wisdom. He takes the words of wisdom from the Old Testament, indeed all words of wisdom, and he makes them manifest so that we see he lives it out. And he says to us, even though you can be wise in this world, I am the final example of wisdom. Come to me. Wisdom personified in the Proverbs, as we shall see, is in person in Jesus. And the word of God in the Torah and in the Psalms and the Proverbs in Job and Ecclesiastes cannot be divorced with their end when we read, I meditate on your word, Psalm 119, means now for us we meditate on the living word who is Jesus, who fulfilled the very word of God, to whom we go that we might be wise in first and foremost knowing him. Jesus asks his father, he says, make them holy by your truth, John 17, 17. He is truth. He is wisdom. So all of the scriptures ultimately say, come to Jesus. That then the word of Christ may dwell in us richly as we sing with thanks. We sang about only by his grace, didn't we? He is God's grace to us. Every aspect and attribute of life proceeds by grace when we know Christ. But it also looks like folly. Because <laughs> you and I know that the wisdom of Christ to many looks really silly. Isn't that right? Following a dead bloke in history, as some will say. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight, 1 Corinthians 3.19. The Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile, 1 Corinthians 3.12. Why? Because we exchange what seems wise to the world for biblical priorities. We are citizens of a kingdom to come, Philippians 1.27 and 3.20. And we make choices that reflect this. In fact, we hunger to see life from God's perspective in Christ and align our lives there. So unlike the revenge movies, which are so prevalent, what do we do when we're persecuted? Jesus says, Matthew 5, 44, what do we do for our persecutors? We pray for our persecutors. We don't focus on self-preservation, but we are prepared in Christ to be self-sacrificial to see others good because we follow a crucified king and we live by the Spirit, Galatians 2 and Ephesians 5. And God wants his followers to live godly lives that are to the point of self-sacrifice amidst worldly living, 1 Peter 1. Brothers and sisters, Jesus makes an extraordinary call upon wisdom. It is for us to look like fools but in reality, we're wise. We follow a crucified savior. We follow a resurrected king. We sit in hope and anticipation of a kingdom come when the world just wallows in the here and now so often. And yet we have a hope that is eternal and will never perish, spoil or fade. Fools forget God. Fools forget God. 
Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a dissident in Russia, persecuted for many years, in his Templeton Address, uh, an award for a pioneer of the renaissance of religion in atheist nations, uh, said this. This was spoken at Buckingham Palace, in fact, in front of King Charles' father, Prince Philip. Let me quote for you. Solzhenitsyn said, more than half a century ago, while I was still a child, I recall hearing a number of older people offer the following explanation for the great disasters that have befallen Russia. Men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. Since then, he says, I spent well nigh 50 years working on the history of our revolution. In the process, I have read hundreds of books, collected hundreds of personal testimonies, and have contributed eight volumes of my own to the effort of clearing away the rubble left by that upheaval. But if I were asked today to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million of our people, I could not put it more accurately than to repeat, men have forgotten God. That is why all this has happened. Profound, isn't it? The Proverbs open up with a father instructing his son in the ways of wisdom. Prince Philip was present for this speech, words of wisdom to share on, defender of the faith in Jesus Christ to his son now, King Charles III, but fools forget God. The Proverbs conclude in chapter 31 with wisdom imparted from a queen to her son, but fools forget God. Solomon's kingdom was divided to Rehoboam, his son, and Jeroboam, into two kingdoms under God's splintered, conquered, exiled nation. Fools forget God. I'm sorry to say the House of Windsor today with the forthcoming book by um, Harry Spare and the altercations that have been described in the media with him and William. I don't know the background, nor do you really, but the problem is that fools forget God. Anything that we can justify in our own mind, sometimes not to even care for others, our neighbors, as we see with Russia's invasion of Ukraine right now. In some instances, I understand, with the support of members of the church, fools forget God. What a balm it was to hear just this week of a Christian brother in public prayer, terrible little event that took place on the Buffalo Bills field, um, a safety, one of the players, Damar Hamlin, um, had a cardiac arrest on field. Uh, Dan Orlovsky, former player himself and a commentator, bowed his head as it was asked by the family that there would be prayers for Damar, and he led a nation watching in prayer. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, fools forget God. Brothers and sisters, where's the rub for you and me? Our families need to know. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, but you and I, we're fools. Are we not? Fools for Christ. This year, how will you be a fool for Christ? The reason that we have fear of the Lord and the knowledge of his wisdom is because of his grace to us. May we rejoice in this gift of grace. May we give on this gift of grace. May we not drop the ball with the next generation. Fools forget God, but there for the grace of God go we. Wise only because he chose us, not because of anything in of us and of ourselves, but because he is a merciful, gracious God.
Let us pray that 2023 will be a year of wisdom for you and me. Let us pray. Father God, we have wisdom fulfilled in knowing Jesus. This is infinite and eternal wealth. It is beyond the kings and the despots of worldly wealth who will burn on that day when he returns. They will pass away in their humiliation, but we may boast in Christ. May we as your people endure the trials and temptations by remembering you, our Lord. Father God, may we not forget him. May we not put the Lord Jesus on the margins of our lives. May we invest in the lives of those around us, our children, our grandchildren, our nephews, our nieces, our little ones in ministry. May we not, Father, be tempted to put Jesus into the blender of comparative religion or to be drawn away to a love of money or worldly wisdom, but may we continue to meditate on your wisdom. And as we spend this month in the book of Proverbs, May we discern that wisdom through the lens of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is wisdom, and in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you.